Greetings and salivations, Mr. Ricky Shane Page. <laughs> I know you're quite busy being the GCW champion and traveling around the world and making Nick Cage's life absolutely horrible. <laughs> so I wanted to introduce myself because <laughs> I'm the guy that you swiped right on <laughs> for Prestige Wrestling Roseland 2. <laughs> Hi, I'm Drexel. I enjoy long walks down um, dark alleys. My favorite sound is that of a fearful whimper. <laughs> and in my free time, I really like to hurt myself and other people for a live studio audience. Because, you know, if I did that at home, <laughs> I'd be like a teenage emo girl cutting herself. And that's just not that cool. <laughs> See, Ricky Shane Page, for the last 15 years in the Pacific Northwest, I've made a reputation of being the king of Northwest hardcore. And it's not because I'm the biggest, I'm the baddest, I'm the toughest guy around. It's because I just keep getting back up. I've made a reputation of being the cockroach that just won't die for 15 years. I have been trying to drown out this noise in my head in horrible ways, and I just can't seem to get the job done. So Mr. Deathmatch Daddy, Mr. God of Deathmatches, Mr. GCW Heavyweight Champion, will you do me a favor? Will you come to Prestige Wrestling and will you shut off this noise going on inside my head? <laughs> or maybe I'll just keep getting back up. And Mr. RSP will be the next victim in the human horror show. Welcome to the Pro Wrestling Shoot. I'm your host, Jesse Carter, and today I'm joined by the devil himself, Drexel. How's it going, man? Greetings and salvations. How you doing, man? I'm close oh, to my I, window right now. I got screaming kids out in the uh, backyard from one of the neighbors. Awesome. Awesome. I'm doing great, man. Um, you know, as great as I can be. How are you holding up during these crazy, uh, crazy times? Um, I'm naturally a hermit, so most of the time when people see me on the weekends, that's my only time I come out of the house anyway. So going into uh, quarantine wasn't that big of a deal. But now that we're on whatever month it is, four or whatever, and I literally have not hurt myself or anyone else in this entire time, I'm starting to get a bit antsy. I'm starting to feel like uh, maybe teenage me back in the day where I just always ran around and wanted to fight. Um, but besides that, yeah, I mean, I've been doing a lot of hiking with my dog, which is just such a weird thing to me because I'm a kid that grew up in Detroit. I'm very, very much a city uh, city dweller. And with the current climate of the world and with everything going on, I'm really enjoying just wandering around out in the middle of the woods and uh, avoiding humanity like the plague. Oh, <laughs> well, it is the plague out there, apparently. 
Yeah, yeah, so. it is. That's crazy. <laughs> well, that's there's nothing wrong with that, man. Let's uh let's get a background for some of the people who are not familiar with your work. Um, before we get into that, is has it always been wrestling for you? Um, I mean, I've had different jobs throughout my life, but I think probably the age of six or seven, I've been obsessed obsessed with wrestling. Um, six or seven. Yeah, back uh, at that point was when WWF, uh, just to date myself, this is uh, early 80s, um, WWF I think probably came into my area in about 83 or 84 with the syndicated shows, plus we had Big Time Wrestling, which was a, uh, or uh, at Actually, at that time, I think it was WAW or WWA. It was Dick the Bruiser's company that was coming out of Indiana. Um, but we could watch those on TV. And I grew up kind of poor, so I didn't have cable television. So it was all the Saturday and Sunday morning syndication shows back in the day before, uh, you know, wrestling was everywhere. Um, yeah. But once I, I discovered wrestling, I'd always been a huge fan of comic books and superheroes, and immediately it was live-action superheroes, and I was obsessed. I think I went to my first show in, I think it was 1985, uh, at the, the Michigan State Fairgrounds, and, uh, and then my second show, that was a WWF, my second show was an NWA show in like 86, or it was 87, and it was when uh, Ric Flair lost the title to Ron Garvin, so I had a wow. long... A long history of being an obsessed wrestling fan, and uh, <laughs> until I actually got into the business uh, 15 years ago. Wow, wow! At what point in life did you decide that you wanted to do this for a living? Um, I mean, I remember talking to a friend in high school and saying, "I want to do this." But we're talking. Uh, I graduated high school in 1993. Um, there wasn't that many wrestling schools at that point probably the closest to me in the detroit area would have been in lima ohio and it was al snow's school at the time um but to seriously try to make it as a wrestler especially if you are a 150 160 pound uh skinny kid who's legit 511 um wrestling wasn't for you back then they uh they they weren't gonna let me in the school let alone uh try to to get anywhere at that point so i i kind of just put it out of the back of my head and thought yeah you'll never be a wrestler you'll just always be a fan and i went to college and got into radio because no matter what i was going to perform one way or another so i ended up in uh radio and wrestling uh didn't actually really come back around for another what was it uh 12 years after that 12 13 years after that is when i ended up uh getting into wrestling wow wow yeah yeah I've, I've heard many stories on how hard it was to get into the business had to look a certain way had to be a certain height certain weight it's uh kind of a pain in the ass when you think about it i'm so glad it's not like that anymore and we get the creativity flowing in the business like we should have had years ago um i mean you're looking at it it's it's a it's a business that was built around lies. So now as all these lies are coming out and like all the truths are coming out about stuff behind the scenes, it is a business fully built around lying to its fans uh, that they call Mark. It was it started in the counties and that that's why this business was so closed up and why I mean. When they talk about women in wrestling, much like uh, little people in wrestling, it was an attraction. The locker rooms, probably 95% of the time, as you worked six, seven days a week, were all men. 
what happens if you put a bunch of 20 and 30 year old men all in a room together and their whole job is to go out there and, you know, kind of beat the crap out of each other because we make contact. It's not like it's ballet, but we are working together. But you have an entire it was a, a boys club for so long. And meanwhile, cultures have changed. Um, just the wrestling scene has changed. Um, the fact that I saw, you know, 10 years ago, a difference for when I first started. Really, it was Hardly any women really wanted to be involved. And about 10 years ago, I saw the change in that and uh, saw people like Nicole Matthews. And from Nicole Matthews led to people like uh, uh, Casey Spinelli and, and Chelsea Green all coming out of Canada. Down here, we had uh, Kate Carney was training and went and uh, wrestled for different places. But you started seeing more and more women. And needless to say, you've got a locker room that has been built around guys being guys. And now girls are in locker rooms and and everything is changing. So um, you're going to see a lot lot more openness, but you really can't fault a business when it was based around lies in the first place. I mean, it was it was a boys club. It's simple as that. And that's what it was. So, no, definitely. I, I can definitely picture all of that. So what were some of your influences in, in the business growing up? Like what 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 made you want to be in professional wrestling? What who who was somebody that you looked at and said, I can do that? Um, it wasn't that I thought I could do that. It was who just who just captured my imagination and imagine that uh, a bad guy, Rowdy Roddy Piper. Even though I grew up in Detroit, um as all my friends were all little Hulkamaniacs back in 1985, I was the one lone kid that had the Rowdy Roddy Ringer tee that said Hot Rod across <laughs> it. I had that one, and I had the British Bulldogs, which I'm not sure why I love the British Bulldogs, but I, even at that point, saw something special in the way they moved around the ring and, and the things that Dynamite did. That like I remember the first time I saw them where uh, Davey Boy picked up a opponent up in the uh, – in a uh, fireman's carry and then dynamite jumped off the the top rope jumped onto the guy's back and then bounced off that guy into a diving headbutt on the other opponent that was on the uh in the in the ring and just being amazed it was like a live action video game and they were doing stuff that i'd never seen before so i'd say early on my favorites were rowdy rowdy piper british bulldogs and now it's hard to uh hard to admit it because if i watch his matches it acts at Absolutely just drives me insane. I hate watching him work, but Junkyard Dog. I, as a kid, <laughs> love the Junkyard Dog. And, like, now I can watch a promo, and I can still get into the pro- promos. He could talk people into the business. But if I go to watch, like, any kind of old-school wrestling and it's a JYD match, I kind of just half pay attention because I know that's all I've got to do to catch the entire match. It's going to be three moves <laughs> and he's going to do the, the one big uh, falling tree bump. And then he's going to lay there for probably about three, four minutes till he makes his comeback, couple headbutts, roll around and uh, big power slam and it's over. Well, that's kind of how wrestling was back in the day too. Everybody had their certain move set and they just kind of did, you know, stuck to a formula, but that, those are some uh, great tastes, man. I, I grew up on Roddy Piper myself, uh, the British Bulldogs, Junkyard, uh, junkyard Dog. Um, Roddy Piper, man, was just captivating. There was never anything like him um, growing up. And for, you know, one of the top heels in the business, man, he was just super underrated. 
I was so jealous when I moved out to uh, to Portland area and so many of my friends that I have now and they actually grew up with Piper being their uh, their baby face here in Portland. Oh, yeah. Getting, yeah. Going to see uh, Piper every single week live inside the uh, in the sports arena uh, sports arena would have been absolutely amazing. I never got that. I got I got to see Piper with about 20,000 other uh, 20, 30,000 other people inside a giant arena. But to uh, if Piper would have been one of my local that I would have got to see that would have been awesome growing up I would have been amazed by that oh man that would have been awesome too um so you mentioned that you've been in the business for 15 years um what what's the memory of your do you have memory of your first match first booking first company you ever worked for yeah um so I actually moved to Portland, Oregon for uh, I used to be a morning radio DJ. I worked in Detroit, down in Florida, down in Tampa, and I ended up taking a job in Portland for a uh, top uh, top 40 station. And I was coming in, brand new morning show. I was going to be one of the co-hosts and the executive producer of the show. When I got here, there was Portland Wrestling was still on TV. Granted, it was cable TV, but it was still there was a local wrestling scene. And that had long been dead up in the Detroit area and most of the places that I had lived. So probably about four or five months into my stay here uh, working on the radio, I finally got enough uh, enough pull at the station that I pitched, hey, um, I'd love to do a cross-promotion with, with Portland Wrestling. I know it's not technically our demographic um, because they wrestling and – 20 and 30 year old women don't really go hand in hand, especially back in uh, like 2006 or so, 2005. And, uh, but the thing was, is Portland wrestling uh, ran right before our top competition, a, uh, another morning show in the, uh, in the area, PK's playhouse, I think it was, or something like that. So I convinced the radio station to allow me to contact Portland Wrestling to try to do a cross-promotion between our morning show and Portland Wrestling. We would get the rub of putting our name all over a show that ran right before our direct competition. They get free advertising on the radio. So I contacted Frank Culbertson, promoter at the time, and and we uh, went and had lunch and met, and and they decided, hey, we're going to bring you in, but we want to do an angle with you where we're going to have you beat up, get you beat up. Because I was just going to come in as an announcer, maybe do like play by play or something. That was my only intentions when I initially uh, uh, got in contact with them. And so I, uh, they sent me down and I met the grappler for the first time in a ring in the middle of a, uh, an actual bingo hall, former bingo hall that only ran like on the weekends. So they could have the ring set up there during the week. Wow. And, uh, for the next two months, um, usually twice a week, Grappler and a couple other local wrestlers who were training with Grappler beat the living shit out of me for the next two months so that I could uh, essentially protect myself in the ring. <laughs> Where most guys learn how to do body slams and all that stuff, all I was taught was how to bump, how to run the ropes, and how to protect myself. So no matter what was Anything that was done to me, my my muscle memory was there that I knew how to tuck my chin, where my everything where everything goes when you take a bump. So that was my first two months of the business. Um, and so then my very first Portland wrestling show, I come in and Grappler and his group are uh, are are going to beat me up. And the guy that's supposed to uh, to bump me originally, I was told, hey, he's just going to give you a boot, DDT, and then put a snake on you. All right, cool. 
So I get there that day, and this wrestler decides to tell me, you know, I don't do a DDT. That's stupid. I do a double underhook pile driver. So oh, great. I said, okay. Uh, well, I've, I've never taken that before. Um, so you want to show me how to lock off and, you know, so I, I can go up easy for you. Yeah, yeah, no problem. So we practice it a few times. My hair was kind of long at the time. So really don't need to come that close to the ground. Um, so we go out there. We uh, It's time for our spot. Grappler calls us in the ring, makes fun of me. Uh, and then they uh, they attack, and he proceeded to drive me my head right into the ring to try to neck up, uh, mess up my neck and pretty much run me out of the business of hey DJ you don't belong here. So oh, they run wow. the angle. I uh, I get dropped to my neck to which uh, I couldn't I hadn't I didn't have full motion of my neck for about a month after that. I couldn't move fully. That's how bad it it was. But uh, um, they do the stretcher angle carry me out in the stretcher and the guy walks up to me in the back as I'm getting off the stretcher and proceeds to smack me on the, uh, the, the cheek and goes, how was that kid? And I said, just fine. Thank you very much. And I shook his hand, got up and walked away. And I think I won some of the guys, uh, respect, uh, after that. But my first year in the business, um, was, some guys saw promise in me, saw how much I love the business, saw the the my ability to talk on a microphone and play characters and and the fact that I lifelong watching and a fan of wrestling and they saw that I got it. So I had some guys take me under their wing and then other guys that first year made my life a living hell where because I, I was told pretty much every show that I would go to, whether I was uh, working it or not, I would go down, help with ring, do everything that any normal wrestler does. Granted, my face is on billboards around the city, but I was still showing up to help with ring and all that stuff. And uh, I'd have guys going, ah, he's just the DJ. Yeah, why don't you go play Britney Spears and uh, <laughs> and stuff like that. And so I, I took quite an abuse that first year, but I just uh, kept pushing through. And um, in that time, uh, actually, Dr. Luther, uh, Luther of. Oh, yeah. Of AEW uh, fame now uh, was one of the reasons I stuck around. Um there was a certain point that uh, my radio station and Portland Wrestling didn't want to work together anymore. So I was going to be let go because they were no longer going to be doing a cross promotion. And at that point was when Luther took over the book for Portland. And he actually stood up for me uh, and said, uh, no, instead, we're not even going to mention that he's on the radio. He's now going to become a manager. We're going to do this and this with him. And uh, I need him because I'm bringing in a bunch of wrestlers and he's someone that can actually talk and get over with a crowd. And so because of Luther, I stayed in wrestling. If not, who knows? I might have been gone. And at that time, there was only a few companies total in the Pacific Northwest. It wasn't like it was nothing near what it is today. Not that it's like huge now, but it was still it was even a lot smaller at that point. And uh, because of Dr. Luther is why I stuck around. And Luther and I would talk for even though he lived up in northern Washington, we talked for hours every week um, about psychology. And I count him as one of my trainers, even though I never technically went to a class with Luther. Uh, my classes were all just uh, in conversation and talking about the business and and talking about psychology and talking about how to get over and, and character development and things like that. So I owe Dr. Luther uh everything him and then uh playboy buddy rose uh at a 
certain point at Portland Wrestling, a uh, guy who uh, last he wrestled as Todd Royce at the time it was Skag Rollins, but he was going to be uh, starting his own promotion because, like I said, there wasn't much wrestling going on up here at the time. And so um, he was going to start a, a promotion that ran weekly out in the Gresham area. And Portland Wrestling uh, promoter uh, Frank didn't like that and decided to give the ultimatum that if anyone goes and works for Skag, they can't work for Portland Wrestling. Portland's on TV. Skag's company, NRW, is just going to be doing these small little weekly shows just for us to have ring time and right. to get better. And I remember um, making the decision that I was going to leave and go with uh, go with Skag to NRW. And, and Luther was, was pretty hurt by it at the time. But what I told Luther, I was like, I appreciate everything you've done to me for me. But at the same time, I feel like I need to get more training and being able to wrestle every – like be in the ring every week. And at that point, I was just a manager. Even though I trained – like a wrestler my original intentions were only to be a manager because it was such it was still just a giant's business and so when nrw started uh playboy buddy rose came in and was uh, one of the trainers and i started training with buddy rose at that point too and did more in-ring stuff with buddy but, oh that's awesome man yeah so, i mean wait, i looked out right place right time and the right guys uh, saw something in me and helped me Definitely, man. I mean, those are those are some good uh, people to be looking up to. Playboy Buddy Rose is a quite the name. Yeah, yeah. He was a he's a trip of a human being. He's a Playboy is he was one of a kind. <laughs> How's Luther? Uh, Luther is amazing. Um, he's very. If Luther walked into a just a store, most people wouldn't even notice. He wears a hat, has it pulled down, looks just like. Every normal person, but when it comes to the business of wrestling and when it comes to being a, a chameleon for different characters and being able to fully commit into uh, whatever you do out in the ring, that's where I get it from is from Luther because I've seen him do several different characters and each one's unique. Uh, each one has their own uh, quirks and traits. They have their own styles in the ring. And yeah, you can, you know, it's Luther playing all the different characters, but they all have their own thing. And I've always tried to do the same thing with wrestling, where if I'm playing the devil or I occasionally do a hippie character that really, who is a pacifist and can't get farther from the devil character, but. I pull it off and it's completely different. I mean, it's much like acting. It is, there is character development, but imagine character development and then throw in the physicality too, because you got to change the way you work in the ring. And oh, I definitely. Know, definitely. I, I, get, I get really deep into that stuff. And I like guys that go on road trips will listen to me talk about psychology and, uh, and coming up with inspiration for characters for hours at a time. So, well, that's, you know, that's good. And you have to, you have to have, this deepness in this business, because if you're not creative, then then nothing new is really getting done. And, and if there's something to be said about you, it is definitely creative. It is definitely something to see. And if anybody listening to this has not gone and seen this guy work on the indies, I promise you when you get to see him, it is going to be an experience you're never going to forget. So when when was the devil himself Drexel? Um, born when when did this character come come about for you 
the crazy version of Drexel, I'd say Drexel started off as a radio DJ and then transferred into what I would consider white trash who inherited millions. That was the storyline for Portland that uh, Luther had based it off of a uh, guy from um, uh, Jack Foley up in uh, – up in Stampede that they did an angle where he inherited all this money and that's what we did with me where I had a rich uncle who died and so I remember Luther going imagine guys where you grew up in Detroit what would they do if they suddenly inherited all this money and I showed up in a purple silk suit with some matching uh, gaiters had my hair curled back <laughs> and they laughed so hard but they knew that I was fully committed like I got it I understood and you, so, you have to be in, in into those kind of characters man like you have to be fully committed otherwise it's just not going to work no, never. And I mean, you can get heat, but you'll get go away heat. You won't get good heat, like the heat that people keep showing up just hoping you're going to get your ass kicked. That's real heat. <laughs> but um, I went from that, slowly became a little bit more me. I was always a punk uh, punk kid growing up, and, and I became more of a punker. I had... Uh, I moved down to Florida and went and did uh, FCW, the old minor league for uh, for WWE. I went and did their school and trained with uh, with Norman Smiley. I had been had about five six years experience at that point, but I just wanted to get seen. And I went down there and trained with Norman for a few months and uh, and stayed in Florida for about four years working that scene. And uh, I was. Uh, teaming with uh, Christina Von Erie and Jesse Neal at the time and doing like a punk rock type uh, type gimmick. And then I had the chance, um, uh, one of the companies I was working in South Florida wanted to put me with uh, the Army of Darkness, uh, Kevin Sullivan's old group, which had uh, Abuda Dean, the manager, Sullivan's old manager from back in the day, was still a manager on the scene. They wanted to put us together. And so I... I, I like, yeah, sure, I can do a monster gimmick. And that's kind of what the start of uh, the Devil Drexel's uh, character came from. The initial version were all white, uh, splattered in, uh, in, in blood and uh and makeup and was it looked a little bit more like uh dr luther from japan in fact Definitely. i hit up luther and said hey i'm essentially stealing your gimmick from japan and luther said uh it's like hey i told you there was nothing uh, original in wrestling just make it your own and that's what i did and that's how uh, drexel started and then once i i moved back here it just kept uh progressing and i've been this version of drexel now for Probably about seven years, I would say. So almost half my career has been doing this crazy thing, and it's really it's. <laughs> well, it's working, man. Yeah, it's I mean, some guys, I I go out there and I'm amazed because I was never an athlete. Like I said, skinny kid, geek that loved watching TV, loved watching wrestling. That was me. Um, I wasn't the guy that was a uh, a star athlete, wrestler, football player, or anything like that. Um, and so. But I, but you comp you compensated in in your work though. Because yeah, you have to, you have to, if I went out there at, with my body and didn't have something to give creatively and gone so in depth with my characters and uh, make people believe that I get quite a few people that sometimes honestly believe I, that there's something wrong with me when they watch me at the merchandise table, because once I get into Drexel mode, I stay in Drexel mode for the most part. If 
people look over, whether people are watching and I know it or not, I'm in Drexel mode. I'm fidgeting. I'm I'm talking to myself. I'm just staring at things, trying to make people uncomfortable. And it's just all part of the character. And if I, I feel like if I didn't deliver that, I can't go out there and do half of what the stuff the stuff like Sonico or or Jaden or Ethan or like I'm not the athlete that any of those guys are so I make up for it with character and uh, and playing with people's minds and that's been kind of the last few years has been even more so of uh, going deeper into seeing how people react to certain things like a live crowd environment and something that just in general, makes people like gives them the willies. Um, example: the paper cuts. When I start doing the paper cuts, Ugh. looking around at seeing people's faces, like they yeah. could believe or not believe that I'm really paper cutting the shit out of my opponent. But just watching them and playing with their minds that way, um, well, I find my two matches right before the close of COVID, I, I started something new where I pinned both uh, Jaden and Funnybone down and took a piece of paper and tried to paper cut their eyeball. Why? Because it's paper cutting an eyeball. And what amazed me on this was I knew how the crowd was going to respond. You get half a crowd that's like, oh, my God, and they can't look away. The other half of the crowd immediately looks away and flinches. What oh, yeah. I did not – what I did not expect was two guys that I've been in the ring with a bunch that when you pin someone down and you pry open their eye and you get a piece of paper that close to their eye, they don't like it. And they <laughs> will like there was no like, hey, let's play with this a little bit and get the best response. Both of those guys started kicking the shit out of me to get me off of them. But, uh, nobody, nobody likes a paper cut, especially no, in the especially, eye, man. Like the eye, and I just started playing with things like that and how uh, the perception, people in the crowd and how they perceive things being done to each other. And and anyone, anyone can go and, and crash through glass and barbed wire and stuff, and the average fan's like, oh, okay. But when they see you step on a Lego, all of a sudden that fan's like, oh, 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 man, that, that's messed up. Why? Because they've, <laughs> they've experienced it. And so that's something I, I've played with a lot more. I would rather go out there and do a bunch of horrible things that could possibly happen to you at home that you felt in your real life and you hated. I would rather go out there and do that to my opponent because I, I get to work even less. I'm getting yeah, even getting more reaction out of, uh, out of the people. And when I can make my opponents who trust me and a lot of the times we ride together and stuff like that, if I can make them like, dude, you are, you are messed up. You are effed up. Um, <laughs> then I believe like I'm doing my job. I pitched that one to Funny Bone, and he proceeded to pull out a plastic thing full of lemon juice. And he goes, what about this? And I said, yep, sure. And he goes, only you. Only you. I would pull out <laughs> lemon juice, and you're like, yeah, let's do it. I'm like, yeah, you know, it's a little bit of burning. Who cares? <laughs> That's a lot of burning. Ouch. So at any at any time, have you tried out for any of the, the big leagues, or has it just never been – in the uh, in the cards I mean, for you or I I did my three months at FCW. Uh, they weren't looking for uh, for managers. I got to uh, do a little bit of bumping on the next class, the next uh, class that came in to study with Norman, because Norman can't take bumps anymore. So I was uh, I was offered the the spot of being like the bump dummy for the new kids just to show them how to bump. But uh, yeah. they liked me. But at that point, I was I was 
getting close to 40. Um, I'm small, and they were still on a, a 6'2", uh, 230, 240 minimum. Um, I met with Jim Cornette when he was running uh, Ring, uh, Ring of Honor. Um, and I've always gotten good good feedback, but a lot of wrestling is right place, right time. Um, right. I honestly might even be thinking about stepping away recently. Um, but once again, Luther being an inspiration, I mean, I watched this guy go for 30 years and never become, never get that national exposure in America that he deserves. He had three different deals that were essentially yanked out from him back in, uh, back in the day for EC, uh, ECW had no more money. They were bankrupt. WCW was in financial turmoil and yanked a deal and WW, uh, uh, F decided to go in a uh, different route, but I seeing him have a job now, full time job working for a company and uh, doing what he loves is a huge inspiration of never say never. And there might be a spot for me someplace. Never man, know. Man, uh, thinking about it now, you with Luther in AEW sounds like a cream dream. <laughs> I, I I would love it. I we work so well together. I'm actually excited right now with that they've put uh, Luther with uh, Serpentico. Um, yeah. I've I've known Serpentico now for eight or nine years, and when I was down in Florida, he was actually one of the the good guys. Like I've met lots of douchebags, especially down in Florida, <laughs> and lots of assholes in this business. And he was one of them that was always cool, was just a good person, loved wrestling. And so they actually got to work a match uh, with Sir, uh, under Sir Pentico without his mask. And, and I had told Luther, I was like, oh, yeah, I know him. And they started talking. And now that they're getting hooked up, it, it makes me – I'm really excited for it. I'm happy for them. Um, but, yeah, given the opportunity, I would be down in Florida in a heartbeat to a work in AEW show. Oh, so. I would absolutely love to see you there, and you definitely deserve it. So um, we covered it a little bit, but since the first match I've I've personally ever seen you in, um, I see, I've seen a lot of brutal hardcore like the deathmatch style. Um, how does your body hold up through all of that all these years, man? Honestly, I prefer doing hardcore now because I am so old. Um, <laughs> I I actually have two herniated discs in my neck. Um, I Ooh. did a I was down in Paraguay for six months and did a TV show called Luchando down there. That was probably one of the coolest experiences of my life. I trained wrestlers and wrestled on TV for six months, and that was my only job. It paid all my bills back here in Portland. It was amazing. Wow. But um, coming out of that, I had gotten a stinger during a match catching a guy. Um, and I ended up with uh, um, herniated discs in my C5, C6 up in my neck. And so I didn't even know if I was going to be able to wrestle. This was four or five years, five years ago. I didn't know if I was going to be able to actually wrestle anymore at that point. Um, and I did rehab for about six, seven months. I refused to get surgery because originally they wanted to do like double fusion surgery. And I told them to F off. I was like, I'm going to. I don't want to guarantee the end of my career. I would rather like <laughs> yeah. see what I can do first. Um, and I was able to get rid of all the numbness and my my neck still it's still herniated discs. I've just got exercises and stretches I do to get rid of the numbness and 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 get by. So switching over and doing more and more hardcore. I've always been a fan of hardcore, but honestly, it's a little bit easier on my body. Um, my my skin can take a lot more scars than my neck can take high neck bumps. 
So Definitely. if I can, oh, yeah. uh, if I can cover up uh, the fact that I can't bump and feed as quick as I used to, and don't uh, don't land on my head like I used to nearly as much, um, with some extra scars around my body, yeah, I, I'm fine with it. And once again, talking about the psychology of it, I'm a big fan. I love hardcore and death matches when they're done correctly and they're built up and everything means something. Nothing more. I hate to watch a death match where all it is is just light tubes and every move that's tried is just cut off with a light tube and then more light tubes and at the end of the match the finish is more light tubes more they light never, tubes <laughs> i mean they don't actually do anything like every it's just the same i i want to take people on that that roller coaster i want to take them on that journey i want to take them ups and downs and and make sure that if i'm going to go out there and do something absolutely uh insane that i have a risk of uh possibly dying or being paralyzed at the end of it i want to make sure i get that pop for it i don't want to throw it away and it, it kills me i watch some of these guys go out there and, and do these amazing things and then follow it up with something else and something else and totally bury what they did. And, uh, yeah. and then you just end up with, wow, you did a lot of cool shit. And unfortunately, the crowd only caught maybe two of those things. So and, th- and that kind of brings me over to my next um, thing that I wanted to talk to you about, which was the build for you in Sonico in Prestige. This this build was TV worthy. I so I'm. Before Prestige, I was fairly new to any independent circuit. I, you know, I, a huge fan of wrestling all my life, but I didn't know that we had so much independent here until Prestige came in my backyard, and I got to see awesome performers, you know, like um, Tom Lawler and Sonico, yourself, you know, um, it's uh, Mike Santiago, Kenny Lush. They were all on the first show that I seen, and then. Um, you know, that buildup with you and Sonico was definitely something that should have been broadcasted. <laughs> it was amazing. I'd never seen anything like it because um, here you guys are. Had you both added on Facebook and, you know, Twitter and all that stuff. And all of a sudden I see, you know, you know, Drexel has posted a video. And, and this is a video package, you know, um, shooting on Sonico and how this guy is about to die in the ring. And I just watched this video and was just completely mesmerized. <laughs> like, why why is this not getting any exposure? This is happening and this ain't on TV. This is incredible. And then it all went down to that that two out of three falls. It's not a death match, but you guys tore the house down in that. And I would say it was I, I would I would uh, classify it as a hardcore match, wouldn't you? Yeah. Um, so the whole Sonico feud, I I don't know how it initially initially got started, but uh it was – I wasn't actually booked on the very first Prestige show. Um, I didn't meet William. I met William at a Defy show. Um, actually, it was the Defy show where the fire alarm went off and me and Sue were in the ring and everyone had to be evacuated out of the building. While we're outside, I meet William. We're talking. Uh, he says, yeah, I really I would like to get you on the show, blah, blah, blah. Um mentioned something about maybe you could work Sonico in the future. And somehow we came up with, I think it was Sonico's idea at the time, Carlina Gore was working as my valet in some of the spots that I was uh, wrestling like DOA and stuff. And I was already booked that night for another company. And I'm one of those people that 
if I've got a booking, I'm going to remain true to it. Um, you know, if I, I'm going to cancel on something, there's going to be a good reason. So I was like, sorry, William, we can't do your first show. I'm already booked. But we came up with the whole angle for Carlina to come out there, nail Sonico, and uh, and lay the shirt on him. And then there was just this great buzz off of just that. And I was like, all right, cool. Well, I know they haven't had wrestling out in that area in forever. I'm going to give him a real, a really good promo. And what William had told me when he decided he wanted us to feud, what he told me is, I want Steen and Generico. And I kind of laughed <laughs> because in my head, I'm like, shit, you want me to try to pro- program out a two-year feud? And I'm like... All right, well, well, we'll we'll see. We'll start building the different things, and that's what we did. And I just started like, for me, because when DOA first started about 12 years ago, we did a lot of crazy hardcore at that point. But hardcore kind of, kind of mellowed out. People didn't want it. It wasn't drawing. So there's no point to do it if it's not drawing. Um, recently, hardcore has made a comeback, but I've purposely since I've. I do claim myself as the king of Northwest hardcore. I've purposely kind of restrained it for a bit. I've been giving a bit at a time. Uh, and as you can see on the Sonico match, you see us add the layers and layers as it gets more and more brutal. And oh, on yeah. top of that Sonico match, then you add in my matches against Bateman, against Funny Bone, against Sue, heading into the match at the first Roseland, which was all supposed to be leading to this match uh, that was supposed to take place back in uh, in March at Roseland 2 with, uh, with Ricky Shane Page. And that, in my opinion, was going to be the first actually true CZW, uh, you know, IPW, GCW style death match to really happen out here. And I felt like it's taken three years to get to that point. If I would have went out there three years ago with Sonico and started playing, uh, playing in glass, I think it would have turned way too many people off. And there wouldn't have been any emotional connection to it. And I think the fact that we've kept it at a slow build on what's happened in the Pacific Northwest as far as hardcore and what's been going on and stuff, I think has played into our advantage that people have emotionally got invested and people that would have been turned off by just the sight of a, a just a sudden death match out of nowhere early on now have an appreciation and a love for that style of uh, wrestling. Well, I, I just want to say this, man. When these shows were going on, the first time I seen the first show and she came out, laid the shirt on, I was like, well, what's, what is this? What's going on? Who's Drexel? You know, <laughs> I had no idea what was going on. Started following you on Twitter, Facebook. I was like, well, this they're building an angle for something. I got to follow it. You know, if this is going to be in my backyard, I want to be a part of this and, and, you know, see what's going on. While all this is taking place, Williams booking these top talent guys, um, you know, to the show just to get a little bit of attention or whatever. You know, you got Billy Gunn. He booked. Um, I think Eugene showed up one time <laughs> and, uh, you know, just just people like that, just bigger names. And so all these guys, you know, filling into the building are coming to see these big names. This is their attraction. And I'm sitting here trying to tell them after, you know, Prestige 2 happens and I see who you are. From that point on, I'm like, dude, I'm not going to these shows to watch these bigger names. I mean, this is great, but you have to catch this guy, Drexel. You have to catch, you know, Mike Santiago. You have to catch this Pacific Northwest talent. 
it, it's just skyrocketing in my mind, and I cannot believe that it took me this long to to discover <laughs> how great of wrestlers we have right in my backyard. It's 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 been a quite the journey. <laughs> I I appreciate it, and like I. I love William to death, um, and the uh, the platform he's given me. Um, the fact that me and Sonico and our uh, our false count anywhere match was the the first main event he did that was a local based main event that didn't have any national names or anybody like that. That was just two local guys wrestling in the main event, and the show drew so well. I really take uh, take to heart as one of my uh, my favorite moments on. Feeling like I, I actually have done something and, and drawing a house here and there uh, a little bit, as small as they are in the Pacific Northwest. I, I, I feel like I've tried to give that kind of performance as much as possible. So. I, I, I absolutely love that show, man. Um, for me, it's not about big names. After I seen what you guys were about, um, I was all in. <laughs> like William had my ticket sales immediately as soon as I found out who was on the card, what was going on. Sonico, Drexel, main event falls count anywhere um yeah it was it, it was all for me man i was all about it but um you were you were quite the hidden gem of a, of a of a performer i took my kids one time and i was trying to tell my wife you know like maybe they shouldn't you know uh watch drexel come out he's a little intense um i don't and she yeah you know, nah, nah they'll the, you know they'll they'll be all right they'll be okay all right well you know the music hits and immediately they're scared. This is just from your this is just from the music. And you come out, you're wearing the mask, you got the cape and the trench coat going on, the hair, the paint, and you know, you're doing that thing with your tongue and you're doing your twitching and I'm sitting here, you know, popping for this and then I look over at my kids and they are absolutely terrified. <laughs> this is what we're missing in mainstream wrestling, man. Are we not? I actually I worked a uh, um, another company in Oregon one day for a charity show, and uh, I was told by promoter uh, Derek, uh, you can never be a good guy. And even though I was wrestling as a good guy at the time in Portland as the devil, and I said, okay, yeah, sure, whatever. And I walk out during this charity show for a match, and the whole crowd cheers. So as I come along, I'm staring at everyone, and I'm just just staring at him, not saying a word. And I get to a little girl and I just look at her and I stop and I kind of twist my head like an animal looking at something like when your dog's confused and it looks at something. And I'm just like, don't cheer me. Everybody immediately starts booing me. And then I proceeded <laughs> to get yelled at after the match that we don't, we don't yell at the kids around here. And I, I said, if I would have yelled directly at the kid, maybe, or if I would have said something, I told the child not, to cheer me that's all i did i just did it in a very loud abrupt way but i got yelled at over things like that and you know as a kid i remember you wanted to interact i would love for a wrestler i um guy uh band member uh in a band called the secretions he's also a wrestler told me that he as a kid saw playboy buddy rose um at a, at a show and he, he said something to the extent of he called playboy a fat ass and buddy turned around and looked like he was gonna smack him and and my buddy danny literally like oh my god and like 
throws back into his chair, and it's one of his greatest <laughs> greatest moments. So years later, Danny becomes a wrestler, and he works a show with Playboy Buddy Rose, and he tells Buddy about this incident. Buddy's like, oh, I'm so sorry I scared you. And Danny's like, it was one of the greatest things in my entire life. And I, you know, good, bad, indifferent, I want to make a memory on everyone out there uh, in the crowd. And it's kind of messed up because I've been doing it for so long, like, uh, say, DOA, which has essentially been my home promotion. I helped start the company. Um, last year, at some point, uh, one of my opponents had uh, was from California, and his, uh, his kid was in the crowd with uh, his wife and stuff. And the kid's about five years old. And so I go after this kid, and the kid is crying, and so I am mocking this poor child, and I'm like, ah, ah, I'm so scared, ah, and the crowd is cheering me. And I proceed to stop, and I look around, and I'm like, you people are effed up. And I had to walk <laughs> away from it, and I was like, okay, now I've gotten to the point where I, if I yell and scream at a five-year-old, the crowd just cheers me, and I'm like, this is this is screwed up, all right, guys? Even for me, this is starting to get a, a little messed up. But, you know, it's all about characters, about memories. And I want to be memorable. I want – I just had a friend of my wife's uh, – um, she had brought her family, and her son absolutely loves me. He's like five or six, and he got a little uh, card off my, uh, uh, off my merch table, and – I guess has it up and like that's 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 his superhero and I was like okay sure um, why not I mean every kid's different so kids either love me or hate me it's one way or another like uh, they're either scared uh, shitless of me or they're just like he's cool yeah I'm like him I, I like him and then I, I occasionally give him the little wink like yeah you're cool and let them go off on their way. Well, it's a pretty it's a pretty mesmerizing gimmick. And I remember when I first seen you, I had to I, I had to take a double take like, what the hell is going on? This guy is out of his mind. And then that that brings me to the to your theme music. You have the Devil's Rejects clip right before the music kicks in. This to me, it just adds to the perfection of the character, man. Like um, I'm a huge fan of the Devil's Rejects, Three from Hell, um, House of Thousand Corpses. Um, I'm a big zombie movie fan, not so much into his music anymore, but, um, uh, the movies and the way he, he films, I'm a huge fan of. So when I heard, you know, I am the devil, you know, and I've, I've come to do the devil's work play. And then that scary, just eerie music hits. And then this character comes out to fit this music. Can you actually like, name the song? Do you know what the song is? I don't. I don't know the it song. It is, uh, you know, the movie Cape Fear? I've heard of it. I don't think I've seen that one. It's the theme song from Cape Fear, and it's actually done by a group called Phantomus, which is Mike Patton, the old lead singer of Faith No More, uh, Dave Lombardo, the uh, the drummer from uh, Slayer, and then I believe it's the guitar player from the Melvins, and I forget who's playing bass, but it's some like super alternative metal like super group called Phantomus. And most of their wow. albums are all just noise music, like it's just noise stuff. And then they have one album called Director's Cuts, and it's all their weird takes on on movie themes. And that's where I got that. But well, yeah, it, it definitely sets off a, a mood. That's why I like it so much. Well, that yes, a mood is the right way to put it, because as soon as that music hit, I'm like, all right, something's, you know, it, in my mind, something's about to happen. 
and then you come out, you know, you're wearing the mask. And like I said, and you got the paint and it's it, the whole performance is just spot on. And and this is just the entrance like this isn't even when you get in the ring and do all the crazy stuff that you do. This is strictly the character about to make his way to the ring. And you're already that, terrifying me. <laughs> that was one of the things that I learned early on is you essentially by the time you get in the ring, you've either captured that audience or you've given that uh, audience a re- reason to tune out. So that's always been my thing is, well, I better capture him before I even get in the ring, because once I get in the ring, I ain't going to be doing flips and all this crazy, uh, these uh, crazy athletic things that every everyone else can do. So I better capture him uh, one way or another. But talk about Rob Zombie films. Uh, yeah. Otis and actually just Bill Mosley, the actor in general, is a huge right. influence on me um, between I, I steal from Otis. I steal from Spalding a little bit. I steal from uh, Chop Top from Texas. Chainsaw Massacre 2. I steal from Buffalo Bill and Silence of the Lambs. Um, who else? I don't know. I I essentially just steal bits and pieces. I, I pull all the time. Um, down to the name Drexel actually comes from a movie, uh, True Romance, and Gary Oldman. And because uh, Drexel was a uh, a drug dealer, a pimp drug dealer in Detroit with dreadlocks. And uh, <laughs> I, I can neither uh, confirm or deny that maybe I did grow up in Detroit and I might have sold things at one point in my life to survive. And uh, I, I grew up kind of on the hard side. So that's where Drexel actually came from. So. I, wow. I take inspiration from lots of movie characters and uh, and just lots of I'll, I when I for a while I was doing the uh, the angle where I was taking headshots and kept switching characters at DOA uh, like I had multiple <laughs> personalities and I I spent an entire day and probably uh, drove my my wife nuts just watching YouTube uh, videos of people with uh, multiple personality syndrome and watching how they switch between uh, the different personalities and all that stuff just wow, to I wish I wish to I could try to pick that. Yeah, just trying to pick up twi- uh, like twitches and just weird things like that. Like it's not it's very much it's the in between stuff that sells sells the character. It's not what you say. It's not really even what you look like. It's how you act with it. Um, Drexel isn't someone that's going to walk tall with his chest up or out. And it's just that's just not the Drexel character. Drexel's much more hunched over, much more, I don't know, rodent-like, just much quirkier, you know, starts staring off into things. I I describe uh, Drexel the character as um, a a, uh, a sociopath who has uh, very uh, bad self uh, control issues. He just he kind of <laughs> he just he's very selfish, and it's all he's very much about just the immediate pleasure of whatever it is, pain, pleasure, whatever it is. Drexel wants it. Drexel wants it now, and he's just going to do it. Much very animal like. Uh, he doesn't think about stuff. Ex- Drexel will think about afterwards. Yeah, I probably shouldn't have got in there with the giant guy who just crushed me. But whatever, I'll try again next time. <laughs> so, well, so you you talked about um, stealing a couple of things from um, some movie characters. Um, what's your three favorite horror movies, man? Oh, that's a hard. If you one. if you if you had to put a number on them, I'm, I'm a huge uh, horror horror fanatic too. So, so it, it's hard to put um, a number, but let me see. Uh... I'll just probably let me see. I gotta put 
Devil's Rejects, um, even though it's just as much a, a like a biker exploitation movie as it is a horror movie, I think there is no finer work of showing a uh, uh, a heel to a face turn in a movie ever. That like in wrestling terms to go from heel to face, there is no better example of that than Devil's Rejects, where yep. you can take uh, three characters who literally have no redeeming quality. They're as bad as bad can be. And by the end of that second movie, you love them and you're cheering for them to kill the cop. It, it's just amazing. It, that that storytelling and that's what gets me off about wrestling. But I would I would go. say that um, as a kid, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 was a huge influence uh, on me. I love the first one, but the black uh, comedy of the second one and Chop Top, uh, especially that character Chop Top, um, I always loved. Uh, the Thing. I'm a huge fan of The Thing. The thing and yep. Kurt Russell in that and the uh, the paranoia of that movie of not knowing who it is. Uh, Silence of the Lambs just for character development I think is absolutely amazing. And uh, um, I'm looking over at all my, my toys right now just like trying <laughs> to pick a, uh, a another favorite out. Um I don't know, probably maybe like Halloween, the very first Halloween. John Carpenter uh, has his his own unique. Uh, I like his style of a uh, of a slasher film more so than Friday the Thirteenth or even A Nightmare on Elm Street. I would have preferred. Uh, I like Halloween, so I, I would agree with that definitely. All right, a couple a couple more questions before we wind down. Are are you pretty excited to get back to work once all this is said and uh, done? Or I was actually talking to promotions back in the Midwest and uh, on the East Coast yesterday, just because I have to get in the ring one way or another. I've got if it comes down to me just driving myself cross country to get to a place that can run shows, I'm gonna have to do it this year. Um, Physically and mentally, I don't think I can take the rest of the year off and not bump and try to hurt myself or hurt someone else. I need to get that out. And uh, But uh, I think for the West Coast, we're probably uh, going to be on standstill until probably 2021. I'd love probably, for it to probably be Probably late 2021. Uh, we'll see. I mean, if people pull their heads out of their asses and just actually give a shit about uh, their fellow mankind and not just themselves, it'd be awesome. I know it's All weird right. coming, coming from the that. devil. But uh, every every time I see some idiot talking about how they don't want to wear a mask, I just want to go. So you're cool if I just don't wear pants, right? <laughs> like no right. pants, no it's underwear. My freedom. I'll it's just my freedom, it. dude. Yeah, yeah, my freedom, my freedom, my balls. My <laughs> balls have liberty, and they want to be free. I just I find it ridiculous. And then those same people will have the the biggest uh, conniption when a, uh, a a storefront's like. Great. Don't want to wear a mask. You can't come in here. And then they're like, how dare you? And it's like, dude, you've got the rules. I I grew up with (laughs) no shirt, no shoes, no service. It's not that hard. Now throw a mask on there for the next six months, and maybe we can get past this this disease that is not just like the flu. And anyone that does the research uh, and sees, like, the stuff that they're discovering now with these microclots that are being formed in the human body, and that's why so many people are having uh, strokes and heart attacks, and people are losing their legs from a flu-type disease – It's not flu type. It's messing up people's bodies and just give a shit about someone else for what? Great. You're healthy. Uh, Austin Aries, for example. Great. You're hot. You're healthy. You're vegan. Oh, you're so awesome. 
just wear just wear a mask. Just yeah. for someone else. Just wear a mask. I don't Be need it here. Yeah. Just shit about someone else for once. But <laughs> I don't know. We we live in a very selfish world and uh, I don't know, it's a lot of inspiration for the devil character, that's for sure. <laughs> oh yeah. You're gonna I, have some good I, promos to cut later on. Oh my god. 2020, I can book out the next five years and get the most heat of any company, guaranteed. <laughs> I know wrestling isn't about true emotional investment anymore, but if people want me to get emotionally – I could actually do that just basing it off of what is going on and how people respond to things now. It's just – it's ridiculous. It is. So here, here's another one for you. Um, this may be a little tough, but what are some of your favorite matches that you've had? If you can name like – yeah. Maybe three. Same with same with the movies. Three three, just all time treats to to work and be um, a part of something. All right, I'm gonna go with my very last match between before COVID. It was me versus Funny Bone in a uh, a no rules uh, street fight for uh, for POW uh, Pow Wrestling down in uh, down in Eugene, and I believe it is up on YouTube. That match. Um, is extremely hard-hitting and brutal. And what I love about wrestling of just looking like two guys realistically trying to destroy each other, especially like the, the two monsters fighting each other. I uh, love that one. Loved my very uh, my first singles match with Sue um, that I did for, uh, for Prestige in, I think it was Spokane. Spokane, yeah. Yeah, that match, uh, I loved that one. And then um, for a third, I am going to say either me and Cleaver versus X-Pac and Ravenous Randy for Defy or me versus Tommy Dreamer to, uh, uh, at Defy. Uh, I just watched just, that match. Yeah, just you, for you the fact that – yeah, it's just for the fact that I got to wrestle guys I grew up with and I respected so much and like – me and Tommy was really it was much like when I wrestled Carlito. People kind of laugh about it because you've got guys planning out their whole matches, and then it was the stereotypical. What do I do? I don't care. What do you want to do? I don't, I don't care. Um, yeah, I guess we'll do this. Yeah, we'll do that. All right, we'll just talk. Cool. All right, we're good. And like um, Tom Lawler laughed at me and Carlito because Carlito sat the entire first half of the show. We were coming right after intermission, sat and watched the whole first half of the show out in the crowd, then came back at intermission. And we literally talked for maybe 90 seconds tops. And then Carlito got up and walked away. And Lawler, Tom Lawler looks over and he goes, did you piss off Carlito? I said, no. He goes, you guys haven't even talked. I said, yeah, we talked enough. And he started laughing. I was like, dude, have you seen the wrestlers on this show? They've they've got all the moves covered. Like what yeah. we're gonna do, not gonna be any involving that. We can fuck we can walk and talk and go have some fun out there. But yeah, like uh working Tommy was uh was a blast and then I was so excited because I mean the guys worked in upper management positions for so many years. And uh, he was giving critiques to all the other wrestlers. And I get to him. Uh, finally, like, end of the night, I was like, hey, Tommy, thank you so much. Uh, you know, can I get any critiques, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, and running me, you do? That's good. I said, cool, thanks. <laughs> and I said, anything else, uh, you know, like um, uh, pace, anything? He's like, no, you don't rush. You're there. You know what you're doing. 
I said, thanks. And then he just <laughs> wandered off all like, yeah, I'm Tommy Dreamer. <laughs> and I was just like, all right, well, yep. Never I've met him idols. a couple of times, and you know what? That explains him pretty well. <laughs> He's a very chill guy, and yeah, I can he, see him handling his business just like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I mean, he will he will critique and tell you his opinions on things and your like all this stuff, and then to get to him, like maybe because he had just gotten done telling everyone, or maybe because I like when I wrestle these guys that have been wrestling for thirty years, my whole goal is at the end of the match they go. Phew. That was easy. Thank you. That's yeah. my whole goal. Yeah. With Carlito, I got in the back and I said, did you bump? He goes, I don't think I did. And I said, good. And he started laughing. He goes, did you do that on purpose? I said, yeah, I did it on purpose. Oh, no reason for you to bump. And then he just started laughing. I was like, this guy's that guy, he's really awesome, too. I've met him a few times as well. And he's super he's nice also guy. Super yeah. nice. Yeah. As we were uh, coming up with our match uh, in our 90 seconds at the end of the conversation was – want to throw in some more uh, fall season stuff at the end i said do you really think it's going to make them get any louder he goes no nah, probably not and i said cool we're good <laughs> and, and, then, and i love when i can go out and do that and then there's other guys that want to play, plan everything out and uh, what i tell them is that i'm old um i've smoked a lot of pot for uh, most of my life and i've taken a lot of headshots back when uh unprotected uh, chair shots to the head was just something that you did to be cool um right and so uh, uh we can go over to bunch back here and we can kind of lay out the uh plan but i guarantee at some point i'm gonna look at you and go hey what's next <laughs> so you better be ready to, to talk to me because if i'm gonna call out a huge sequence and i've had something played over in my mind and i'm like yeah we'll do this into this into this you damn well know that when we get out there, I'm going to call it from move to move to move, and I'll be talking to you the entire time. So, Heck yeah, man. So uh, what what platforms can we find you on, and what independent promotions should everybody catch you on and follow? Um, platforms, pretty much anywhere you want to uh, look up the Devil Drexel, D-R-E-X-L, and uh, you'll find me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Um all those. And then as far as uh, promotions, we've got uh, uh, Prestige and DOA, uh, both based out of Oregon that I really consider home. Um, POW down in Eugene, Oregon. Um, and then up in Washington, I would uh, suggest uh, Without a Cause, uh, Defy. I work for both of them. I've worked for uh, 5CC. Uh, they're young guys that are, are trying to do something a little bit different. Um, I was working up in uh, up in Canada a lot. Uh, a lot of that has changed due to uh, recent allegations with uh, companies that I was associated with. So up in uh, Canada, I will put over uh, Glam Slam and uh, Rickshaw Wrestling. That's ran by Cobra Kai, um, um, uh, Sin Bodhi's brother. Uh, they're both more on the alternative side. Glam Slam is uh, burlesque mi mixed with wrestling, and rickshaw are usually like theme type shows. And right. then if you want to head down in California, um, I can't speak highly enough of uh, Hood Slam. If you want something different, if you have friends that are into punk rock but aren't specifically into wrestling, or maybe they're into video games and not into wrestling. Uh, or just if they're stoners, have them check out Hood Slam. Uh, birds will fall. Hood Slam is one of the most creative, amazing projects that I've ever got to work with. I uh, I work for them as far as, as as a graphic designer, and then I occasionally go down and wrestle for them also. But uh, 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 Dark Sheik uh, is 
a friend and she is doing amazing things with hood slam down there so that's essentially where you'll see me and uh hopefully i'll get picked up by uh maybe i'll get, go play with uh, luther at aw or um gcw was supposed to come to town i was gonna be trying to get onto that show and that all got canceled you know it's kind of a bummer like the list of matches that got canceled because of covid really bums me out because i had oh, like yeah. i had a who's who of things going like on the deathmatch side i had casanova valentine i had mance warner i had ricky shane page all lined up in death matches um leon scott down in florida who's been doing a bunch of stuff with the no ring guys down there and then um i was gonna follow it up with a bunch of really amazing comedy I was going to be wrestling Danhausen. I was going to be wrestling Hornswoggle. I mean, who oh, doesn't wow. want to see the devil versus Hornswoggle? Um, <laughs> I was supposed to wrestle Papa Shango this month, and that wow. got canceled. Yeah, I mean. Where was that going to be at? Uh, up in Canada. I was pretty oh, wow. bummed out about that. So, I mean, a bunch of what could have been, and hopefully some of these matches get booked again. And, uh, you know, I, I've got a, a short list of guys that uh, I still want to fight, and most of them are either the uh, – the, the top of the line when it comes to uh, to death matches or guys that I grew up uh, loving that are still doing it. So uh, I know where my place in the business is and, uh, and who I'm striving to face in this little time I got left. Definitely. All right, man. It's been a pleasure chopping it up with you. I hope to see you back in the ring as soon as possible. Ladies and gentlemen, the devil himself, Drexel, and we are out of time. Man. You too, buddy. I am the devil, and I am here to do the devil's work. <laughs>